Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I shared with you last week, we continue in these first few weeks of the season after Trinity, focusing on that great truth of how our Lord has saved us by grace through faith and not through works, lest anyone should boast. Last two weeks, we focused on the reality that we cannot save ourselves, and indeed there is a very real need for our salvation, because hell and judgment are a real danger. We saw that in the story of our Lord told of Lazarus and the rich man, that great divide between heaven and hell. And then last week also, as we heard how there are those who are excluded from the banquet. And it is important for us to recognize how do we know? How can we be assured that we are among those who are in the banquet? Of course, that is the work of our Lord and his great gift through Jesus Christ. Today, we see that one of, the one of the reasons why we struggle with this truth is because of the presence of sin in our lives. And our Lord shows us how we are called to deal with sin, how indeed sin affects our lives and how we treat it. It's not just something we ignore. It's not just something we forget about. It is a very real obstacle in the life of the Christian. Yet on the one hand, we do, not, we do not treat sin as that which keeps us out of heaven, nor do we simply say, well, I'm saved, and therefore sin doesn't matter. And so we begin this week with seeing how we as Christians deal with sin. And next week, we will focus on how we deal with, those, with the sins of others as well. That very great frustration. Our Lord shows us how to deal with sin by sharing about this, these two stories. The story of the man who lost a sheep, the shepherd who lost a sheep, and also the woman who lost a coin. And I'm sure you've been in that situation where you've wanted to find something you need. I hate to admit it, but all too often as I'm getting ready to leave for some place, I'm usually trying to find my keys. We have a nice little key rack right by our front door, and. What I should do at the moment I come in is hang the keys up, but invariably I don't. And there's been at least many occasions where it's been minutes, not simply seconds, where I've been scouring, trying to figure out where I last placed those things. And as bad as that is, I'm sure every parent has been in this situation at least once, it's even worse when it's someone who is, uh, when it's a person, when it's your child especially. You know when you've been in the store, and your child is right next to you, following you along, you start looking at the clothes on the rack or the food on the shelf, and it seems like only a split second later you turn around and they're gone. I'll tell you at that moment, I don't care what's going on in the world, everything stops. The building could be on fire around you, the world could be exploding, and your only concern is finding that lost child. Time drags on, and there is nothing else that matters in the world. It's a nightmare until you see once again their smiling face and you gather them into your arms. That is what our Lord is talking about. As God's children, he desires nothing more than to seek us out, to gather us who are lost in our sins. Adam and Eve began this being lost. You know how that goes. 
They had everything. They had the garden. They had everything they needed that was provided for them. They had the fruit of the land which they could farm together for their sustenance. They had the companionship of each other. They had the animals to care for. And yet it wasn't enough. Not when that temptation of Satan came along. Yet no sooner had they heeded his words and partook of the forbidden fruit than they realized far from getting something, they lost everything, including themselves. Yet the Lord came to seek them. We in our sinfulness continue in the actions of our first parents. We who are led astray all too often, who give in to our own temptations, and we are stumbling around blind and cannot find our way back. Who we are and how we deal with sin, quite frankly, is very simple, and yet, in many ways, it's the most difficult thing ever. Because dealing with sin begins with recognizing that we are sinners. Jesus tells these parables to contrast the Pharisees and the scribes. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man gathers with sinners. Jesus makes the point with the first parable, with the, man, with the shepherd who had lost his sheep, that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Given the context of, our, of who our Lord is talking to, it's important for us to recognize that our Lord is speaking tongue-in-cheek as he says these words. That he is not saying there are actually righteous people who do not need repentance. For as scriptures proclaim boldly, no one is righteous, no, not one. Both the Psalms proclaim this, as does Paul who quotes the Psalms. What Jesus is talking about are those who are like the Pharisees. The ones who, yes, are good citizens, who do things right, who pay their taxes, who honor the government, who keep the law. The ones who never cause problems. Who by all appearances are the ones who we re look up to and idolize. And from an earthly sense, probably should but who in their hearts don't recognize themselves as being sinners. The righteous are the ones who are actually self-righteous. They are the Pharisees who believe they are better than others, who look down on those who are caught up in sins. Jesus sat and ate with tax collectors and sinners, not the Pharisees. It would have been probably so much easier on him. He could have just ingratiated himself with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, stoked their egos, encouraged them, and they would probably have lauded him. But then he would not have come what he had come to do, to call us to repentance, to call sinners from death. In contrast, the sinners are the ones who know they are sinners, who look in the mirror of the law and recognize that we are not able to save ourselves. Indeed, when we talk about the law and its three purposes, the second use of which we talk about, the mirror of the law, 
is its primary use. Because at its heart, the law always accuses. When we hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, the law always shows us how we have failed. Yes, it gives us encouragement and it gives us guidance. And those are important aspects of the law for sure. And we will hear that as we go through this summer. But when we're talking about our state before God, the primary use shows us how far we have fallen. The law tells us, do not murder. Jesus points out, it is not enough simply to say, I haven't harmed my neighbor in his body, but anyone who says, I have hated my brother has committed murder in his heart. You should not commit adultery. It's not good enough to say that I remain faithful to my spouse, but anyone who has had thoughts in their heads, who has lusted after a woman in their hearts, has already committed adultery. Thou shalt not steal. It's not enough to say that I haven't kept from taking my neighbor's goods, but anyone who has desired them, anyone who has undermined their neighbor in gaining what is rightfully theirs, has stolen in their hearts. The law is black and white. The law shows us where we have failed. And therefore the law, at its best and at its worst, brings us and moves us to terror, convicts us of who we are and how we are unable to be, how we should rightly be in the kingdom of God. We know where we should be. We can see that kingdom on the hill. We can see that lighted place of glory. Yet we're in the wilderness who is easily distracted and can't find the way. We walk around in circles and maybe recognize that it looks closer at one point and we think we're going in the right direction only to find we've gone farther. Because at best the law shows us we have failed. It can show us we need to change, but it doesn't give us the means in order to change. We are that lost sheep, that lost coin. Yeah, my friends, this is the great news, the greatest news ever. It's what we saw in Genesis 3. It's what we see in Genesis as our Lord visits Abraham and Jacob. It's what we see as our Lord visits Moses and David, Solomon. Our Lord visits even the likes of the worst kings of all, such as Manasseh and Ahaz. He seeks the lost, and he finds them. He finds us. He came into the place where we were wandering around useless and aimless. He took on flesh and dwelt in our world. He walked among us. He fed the masses. He healed the sick. And he has come to you as well. He found you in the waters of baptism and gave you his name, gave you his spirit. He comes to you today in this word which is preached. He seeks you out and he finds you. The Spirit dwells in you and is with you as you go forth from this place. And because of that, because of what is happening this morning, our Lord, the angels, the archangels, and all the hosts of heaven are rejoicing and are celebrating. We come today and admit that we cannot save ourselves 
And even before the words are out of our mouths, our Lord has already come to us to gather us into his arms and to seek us and to save us. Truly, this is the very task of what we are about. Yes, the church puts forth what God says as far as what our lives are called to be, puts forth the commandments and shows us the way of life. But those are all secondary tasks. Yes, important, and yes, part of who we are. But first and foremost, our calling is to preach the gospel, to share the good news, to shout from the mountaintops, to be a light on a hill, drawing all people to our Lord. And this task is one which is for all of us. It's why we are here. It's why our Lord hasn't called us to our homes yet. It's why we still dwell in this sinful place. You've heard me say it before, and it's, you'll hear me say it again. We're not here to prove ourselves. We're not here to accomplish some great feat. We are here as ones who are redeemed, ones who bear the light of Christ, and who are now in the world to share the news which we know to share that wonderful gospel message of a Lord who loves us so much that he did not hesitate to give up his own life, to endure the wrath of hell itself on the cross of Calvary for you and me. And so we go forth. And as that word goes forth, as men and women recognize and repent of their sins, and as the Spirit comes to them and covers them in grace and creates in them faith, and trust in our Lord, we too rejoice. We rejoice at those who hear the word of God and believe it, and who come to faith. For truly, what greater news is there than that which was lost is found, and that which was gone, that which was dead, is now alive and in the presence of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. And we rise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.